0: Well, if you were uh, hooked in, lined up with our reading plan, drawn that to an end for the summer, but the summer in the scriptures, then you read this week from a book that, well, really promotes that idea of praise him, uh, the book of Revelations. Can you put up the map? Uh, Let me show you something, because I want to tell you a little bit about this book. This book was written... To these churches, some of these churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So you got here's Athens, straight across Smyrna, Ephesus, Sardis, Philadelphia's down here, uh, Pergamum. this, this there, Here's Colossae down here, uh, Laodicea. You got all those churches right around in this area. And you think, well, why would the Apostle John write to those churches in the book? of the first three or four chapters of the book of, uh, of Revelation. Well, John wrote that from this little island of Patmos right here, he was in exile there. And so he's real close, or relatively close to these churches, probably had some sense of oversight or connection with them, but there you have the book of Revelations. It's a dream that he records. So he has his dream, vivid dream, remembers it, is told to write it down, writes it down, and remembers it in great detail. And uh, it's among the last books written that we have in the New Testament. Probably in the late 90s John uh, writes that. So these churches in western Turkey challenging them in the late 90s. Now this is quite a book. This is not a book we go to for our easy daily Bible reading. On the other hand, it's a book that some Christians never get out of and you would think that's the only book that was ever placed in the Bible. Uh, He, John in this writing, refers to several strange monsters, one writer said. But he saw no creature, this writer goes on to say, so wild as some of the commentaries that have been written about the book he wrote. I mean, there have been some creative, very creative, disturbing, crazy, far-fetched commentaries written about the book of Revelation to the point where every single minute detail of uh, the book and all of its projections is identified with some country and some time and so on and so forth. When it comes to Revelation, though, so, I have to admit I find the book to be pretty far over my head. I want to I want to read it and interpret it with some level of humility. Some stuff is pretty clear and easy to apply. Some of the things written in there, I have no idea. I have ideas about principles behind the things, but I have no idea about what age is that talking about, what church is that talking about what President, is that talking about? You know, you know. Uh, here's one thing that I found to be true among people: the president of the United States is often identified as the uh, the Antichrist. It just depend, but you only assign that to a president you didn't like. You know, I mean, so you can define history from that particular president or that particular world leader. And the fact is, it's just not that specific. We just don't know a lot of it, but we still can take things. Uh, away from the book of Revelation. I take a simple approach to it myself. And I like to preach because we're accountable for everything we preach. The scripture teaches, me, teaches that not many of us should become teachers because God doesn't even have to take notes, he remembers every lecture. You know, I mean, I, I, the day I face him, I'm a little nervous about the fact that he's gonna say, you did pretty well, but remember that one Sunday when you said this? Yeah, 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 you got it exactly wrong. You know, you're accountable for that. So I take a pretty simple approach to Revelations and tend to preach what I'm more certain of in the book while encouraging reading and discovering and struggling with the whole book because it is Word of God, just like one of the Gospels. Here's some of what I think the book boils down to. I've entitled this message... The Idiot's Guide to the Book of Revelation. Number one, because when I start reading it, I don't think I've ever felt like more of an idiot than when I read the Book of Revelations, trying to make sense of it. But it's a simple guide. I'd like to come at this this week and say, look, here's basically what I'm sure it says. Let's at least take away what we're sure the book is trying to drive home. And here's the first, first statement, the first truth from the Book of Revelations from which we read this week, if you're following the reading plan. I know this for sure, that according to the Apostle John, as he heard it from Jesus, churches matter. Specifically, local churches matter. There's something important about the local church. Many people these days are critical of the local church, even dismissive of the local church, like us. You know, we're a local church, dismissive of this whole experience. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, heard some version of, well, I don't belong to any specific church. I belong to the church. Which, really, if, if I could be candid, is code for, I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want to have to uh, give my gifts. I don't want to. I would rather be a free floater. That's code to me for. I say Jesus is my Lord, but I don't want to have anybody around me that reminds me when I'm not acting like it. I can just do my own gig. I can't tell you how many times I've heard versions of that. And I want to give the benefit of the doubt. I I doubt that most of the people that express that have much of an understanding of just how unbiblical that statement is or how un-Jesus-like it is. Because to Jesus, local churches obviously matter. In a book no less important than the book of Revelation, it launches with specific challenges and encouragements to local churches in Asia Minor. There are different things going on in them, different things the apostle has noticed about each of them, and each of them has a specific message because they're local churches that are really important, really matter. In Matthew 16, you have that statement where Jesus is identified properly by Peter, and then Jesus says what most of us or many of us have heard quoted. You are Petros, the rock, but upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He actually says, a better translation might be, you are are stone, Peter the small rock that you throw and skip on the lake. And then pointing to himself, he probably said, But upon this bedrock, upon this boulder, myself, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As one of my friends from England, Kim Swithenbank, reminded us last time he was here preaching. That's an interesting statement because gates don't march and move. So you've got this picture of the churches which comprise the whole church the universal church, those who are dead, who have died as Christians, who are alive now and even who will be one day, addressing, attacking the evils of the gates of hell. And guess which one is going to lose? The gates of hell will not be able to hold back the assault upon them because the church is really active. So you have this statement about the church and then the picture of the church being a or groups of people that have evil under siege. Wherever they see something that's wrong, that's not like the heart of Christ, the church addresses it. So well, that could be the universal church though, right? My point is I'm trying to say local churches matter. Except that in Revelation, each one of those challenges is to a local church. The focus is on local churches, local congregations, local gatherings. You look through the epistles, the challenges to the churches are to local churches. The letters are written to local churches or leaders of local churches. So, overwhelmingly, the New Testament is painting a picture up for us of where leaders, where God cares about and addresses, recognizes, and even built the church universal by building local churches. Churches matter. These congregations of Christians matter because it's here that gifts are recognized, that students are sent to camp where they learn things, right, where gifts are used and employed. It's here in local churches, at Valley Baptist and at Marin Covenant and Christ Church North Bay. And, well, name them all. That's where people get measured and held accountable and get to use their gifts and give Uh, of their resources, and then we collectively make a difference in our county. The thing that I can see that's clearly objectionable to the writer of Revelations and the Lord he represents is not local congregations. I don't mean to imply that the church today, with all of its denominations and different ways it acts, is everything that God intended, because I don't think that's true. Local churches are what God intended, though. But what's never appropriate is when each of those local churches sees the other as the competition, is not generous toward the other, is not cooperative with the other. When we, as local churches and leaders of local churches, congregations that are led by leadership teams, elder boards, or even pastors, when we fail to come together and say, what does the Holy Spirit have for his churches to do together in the community, And we're unwilling to do that. That clearly isn't appropriate. But churches matter. And churches connecting to each other really matter. I mean, he writes these specific churches in Ephesus. Specific message. Don't just combat falsehood, but return to your first love. You've lost your first love. Smyrna. Suffering is coming. Be faithful unto death. That's a different message than he sent to Ephesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Pergamum. You there, don't put up with false teachers of false deities. That's your issue. Resist theological pluralism. Thyatira, warnings against the practice of Satanism or the sin, what he calls the sin of Jezebel, unique to that local church. Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive. This is a harsh message. But you're dead. You're, what, us? Yeah, you're dead. There's something missing. Come alive again. Philadelphia, this is the only church that has no negative challenge to it, no negative mention. Philadelphia, here's the message. You folks rock. Keep up the good work. No negative for them. In Laodicea, and we've heard this message to Laodicea, that's the church Where he says you're neither hot nor you're cold if you were either hot or cold i'd prefer it but i'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm and then in that context he says behold i stand at the door and knock if anybody opens the door i will come to that come in and sup with them and we'll be connected but did you realize that that message that's often used as an evangelistic message is is given to christians christians in the church of laodicea If you will open your door, because I'm knocking, I'll come come in and sup with you and connect with you in the context of your neither being hot nor cold. Let's get this thing straightened out. But my point is this. Those are all messages to specific congregations because congregations, local churches, matter. That's one of the unmissable points of the book of Revelations. For whatever crazy reason... What God wants to do in the world, he wants to do through the church, through local churches. I heard a sermon from a man who was one of my favorite preachers, E.V. Hill, uh, South Central Los Angeles, he's with the Lord now, but he, he preached this sermon about how God, the church is God's answer, and Christians are God's answer. And in the sermon he has this outstanding line where he says, and when God chose the church, when God chose people, he chose his worst option. And he'll goes he's a big, huge African-American preacher. And then he goes on, he says, birds would have been more faithful than the church. <laughs> but it's still the church. Revelations, one of the, men, one of the notes in Revelations. Churches matter. And then he moves to the second section of Revelations from about chapter five or six through 18-ish. There's that center the body of the book, where you have the reference to judgments and the seven seals. You got war and terror and famine and stru- struggle going on, the destruction of Babylon. You got all these details about this wrestling match uh, in human history, which represent the second point of the book of Revelations. Churches matter, and faith is messy. Church is messy. Listen to the way author Eugene Peterson puts it in his book, Reverse Thunder. The churches of the Revelation show us that churches are not Victorian parlors where everything is always picked up and ready for guests. Listen, if they are, then they're not a faithful church. So I've said over and over again here, a good church has to have several mops in its closet because a good and faithful church is constantly producing messes. Everything doesn't fit in a nice little peg. There's discomfort. It's not always ready for guests. They, they are messy family rooms, he says. Entering a person's house unexpectedly where sometimes met with a barrage of apologies. Have you used them? Oh, I'm sorry for the mess in the house. It doesn't always look like this. And then the Holy Spirit says, you just lied. It mostly looks like this. Every once in a while, it doesn't look like this. And that's when you know someone's coming over. St. John does not apologize. Things are out of order, to be sure. But that is what happens to churches that are lived in. Remember, faith is messy. They're not showrooms, they're living rooms. And if the persons living in them are sinners, there are going to be clothes scattered about, handprints on the woodwork and the stainless steel refrigerator, I add, and mud on the carpet. For as long as Jesus insists on calling sinners and not the righteous to repentance, and there is no indication as yet that he's changed his policy in that regard, come all you broken people, you're the ones I want to use. Churches are going to be an embarrassment to the fastidious and an affront to the upright. So one of my prayers from Moran Covenant, God, always make us an embarrassment to the fastidious and an affront to the upright. St. John, he goes on, simply says, that sees them as lampstands. They are places, locations, where the light of Christ is shown. They are not themselves the light. Churches aren't the light. There's nothing particularly glamorous about churches, nor, on the other hand, is there anything particularly shameful about them. They simply are. But, oh, man, are they ever messy. And you've got Revelations, that center section of this book that many of us read this week, 6 through 18, those chapters, particularly we have All of this complexity of who's this and what's that representing? What country is this and what's the Book of Life? And wait a minute, there you got the Beast, you got the False Prophet, got all these. What is all that about? I don't know. I just know this: that they don't. Whatever those things are, whatever they represent, they do not make living a faithful life less complex. They make it more complex. We don't even need to figure out all those details. And listen, I'll take responsibility for having said this to the church that I contribute to as a pastor. You, I just am convinced you can't figure out all those details, at least not in the center section of the book. We don't need to figure them all out to know that faith is challenging and messy. We're experiencing it, aren't we? I mean, for instance, you live a faithful life, you, you keep every stinking rule you can figure out to keep. You raise your children by the book and they still, they still turn out with challenges. I mean, good decisions and faithful decisions tend to give you good conclusions and nine out of 10 times they will, good outcomes. But they don't guarantee good outcomes because we live in this whirlwind. We live in this crazy place, this crazy environment. You you can stand with all sincerity at the altar on your wedding day, and you mean every word you say. You've read 15 books before you got engaged. You had great parents and great grandparents. Fantastic marriages mean everything you say, and still that marriage can go south. And it breaks your heart, it breaks a lot of hearts. But I'm saying the fact is, even though you might make all the right decisions, there are no guarantees that those decisions are going to give you this perfect outcome. Tendency, yes. Nine times out of ten, yes. Our outcomes are directly related to our decisions. But we live in this messy world where the best of intentions sometimes gets dumped on. Faith is messy. There are beasts and dragons and, and forces tripping us up. The scripture says our battle, our contention is not with human beings, but against. it's with spiritual forces, these, these, these spiritual powers that around every corner are trying to trip us. That's one of the messages of the book of Revelations that is clear. Churches matter. Otherwise, why spend so much time addressing them? And faith is messy. Around every corner of life is some temptation, some sideways outcome that invites us to bag the whole thing. Well, God, if you're not going to do any better than that by me, what's the point? The life of faith is a good thing, but it's also a messy struggle. Churches matter. Faith is messy. That's normal. And here's my favorite point. I think this is the essence of the book of Revelations. God wins. That check has been written and signed. God wins. History, because we're talking in this summer series about the story of God, the movement of the story of God. What's the story God is showing through Scripture, the epic dimensions of Scripture? And what's the story, how am I helping to write that story? The movement is, is all toward This conclusion, this crescendo, this final act where God wins. And the book of Revelations winks at us and says, don't don't freak out too much because he wins. You win if you're connected with him. You win. Good happens. You have in Revelation 19 the introduction of this bridegroom. The second coming of Christ and the final judgment. You have all of this end time stuff, but the main deal is God wins. It's always been the case, it's always been the intention, it's always been the direction we were going, and Revelation reminds us of that. My favorite expression of that is in chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This idea of the new heaven and the new earth. And as I read this, just think about oh, this and this for which we're all longing? Then I saw, he says in this dream, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's something good that he sees. I mean, I, I remember the day January 7th, 1978 at this little church in Sacramento where I stood up there in my rented tuxedo and all my dudes were standing next to me and all Brenda's gals were standing over there and and then the music got to a certain place and there was a hush over the room. And you know, back in those days, it was pretty traditional and you, you didn't see the bride at all. Until you saw her in that moment. Now now we're more practical. We take pictures ahead of time and everything. I hadn't seen her. And the doors open. And I, I had that thought that guys all of us have at that moment if you get married. My thought was, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> the doors open and there she was. Absolutely Stunning. And the next thought I had was, whoo, I get to marry her. I've been thinking that thought ever since, by the way. That's the most spectacular moment. And then you have, you have that picture of Jesus and the church, and God has prepared him for us on that day when all that's wrong is finally made right. And the best thing he can do to describe the beauty of it And how thrilled we are to see it is to give this picture in our minds of the curtains parting. And there's our bride. All decked out. All set up for her husband. And then back to the text in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Several ways of saying the same thing. There's gonna be no more insulation between us and our God. There's gonna be direct contact. This is cheek to cheek, lip to lip, shoulder to shoulder hugging contact. I mean it's pretty good now with the insulation sometimes. Just last night, I was at the hospital doing a hospital visit. I have these moments, maybe you do too, I don't know, but I have these moments where I experience like, whoa, whoa, I'm tuned in, I really feel the presence of God. And I was at the hospital visiting one of our dear members who's very, very ill, and i coming out of the hospital and I thought to myself, man, I love being a pastor. It's just I was made for this. And I'm walking out of UCSF and I walk across Parnassus there and I'm up against the elevator there and it hits me. Like all of a sudden, leaning against the elevator, I sense the presence of God really strongly. And I leaned against the wall and I said, oh man, God, I feel your presence. you have anything to say to me? It's almost like the insulation got narrow. And as wonderful as that was, on that day, When God finally says enough is enough, this pain is over now, that's going to be so much better because there's no distance between us. He will dwell with us. We're going to share the same bathroom, man. I mean, he dwells with us because God wins. And Sometimes it doesn't feel like God's winning, does it? But he is. They will be his people, God himself will be with them. He will be their God, and listen to this. You dream of this, don't you long for this? Revelations wants to remind us of this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will not wipe most tears. He's not just gonna wipe the big alligator tears. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes every pain will be turned into vapor and a distant memory if we remember them at all. Every mistake, every regret yanked out of our history. There will be no more death. Brenda and I just flew to Chicago last week to attend the funeral, flew over and back basically the same day, of one of the really promising, fun junior high kids that used to run in the halls at our church in Chicago. His parents were pastors, 26 years old, on his way to his brother's birthday party and riding his motorcycle and was in an accident and killed. Do you think maybe that statement of no more death means something to those parents or to the parents in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about? There will be no more mourning, mourning. There will be no more crying or pain for the old order, the text tells us of things, has passed away. And the old order is the broken order. And it's replaced with this perfect new Jerusalem. Everything God intended initially for humankind to experience, humankind will experience, and all of creation will experience one day. Listen. Knowing that changes things. In the NBA playoffs, the, who, who, who are the NBA champions again this year? Warriors. Uh-huh, Warriors. Remember, most of you watch that, even if you don't like basketball, you, a lot of you watch. We watched it, except we had to record it, because Anthony, our son-in-law, we share a house with our, our daughter and her husband and our, our grandson. He had to work, so he'd, no, don't watch anything, don't listen to the news, don't, don't, just record it and wait until I get home, so he'd come and re-watch it as though it were live except it was hours, it was finished, right? Or almost done, we're hours behind. So we're watching and Anthony is up tense, oh, hands on his head, oh, no, 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 no. And then we're 10 points down or whatever, whatever. And all full of tension over this game. Well, I just confessed it during the first gathering and Anthony and Becca were in the first gathering so he heard it for the first time today. But I can't stand that. And I have a smartphone. (laughs) So when he wasn't looking... I'd I'd go to the ESPN app and realize, oh, we're 10 points down now, but two minutes left in the fourth quarter, we're up by 15. (laughs) Relax. And the old sage, you know, Anthony, how can you just be calm? Oh, you get older, you get calmer, you know. (laughs) Relax, Anthony, it'll all work out. It's just a basketball game. But inside, I would have been churning right with him. Because there's something about knowing how the story ends that changes the way you live while it's going on, right? And all of those details about who the beast is and the false prophet and the book of life and the this and the that, man, people have messed up the book of Revelations with their guesses. But this you can be certain of. Good wins. God wins. Justice wins. Racial righteousness wins. Mercy wins wins. Kindness wins. Forgiveness wins. The thing we dream of, the world we dream of, a world with no more tears and no more suffering and no more pain, and nothing between us and God and who he is touching our very hearts and souls wins. And that changes today. Don't know how tomorrow turns out, doesn't it? And I think sometimes I'm afraid we're trying to figure out all the little details of this book that's a record of a dream. And in figuring out all those details, which we'll never do, we miss the primary points. The primary point is that there's this door opening at the other side of the aisle, and that this new city waiting for us that's been dressed up to kill like a bride her bridegroom and here's the, Brenda walked toward me that day she and her dad and in history we are we are moving toward that city and the realization and experience of that city is moving toward us that's the story God is writing through history and we're reminded of it in the book of revelations it's kind of like The experience, the statement of Desmond Tutu, when he was involved in that long struggle against apartheid, trying to encourage his people. He said, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. I've read the end of the book and we win. His expectation was that strength was found in knowing that. That's the primary message of the book of Revelation. And here's the primary question will you or will you not identify, connect with, align yourself with the God who is moving toward that culmination in history? That's the question.